Hey team podcast, Miller, we love you guys. We are so honored that you tune in week in and week out and listen to our podcast this week. Got a doozy for you. Uh, maturing in the Lord, maturing in the Holy Spirit, uh, our ability to discern and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit is how we mature as believers. Uh, I'll lay that out uh, biblically, but we look at Luke 2. And uh, the story of Mary and Joseph leaving Jesus in Jerusalem. They got a day's journey away from Jerusalem and did not realize their son was with them. They did not earnestly guard the one that they had been entrusted with. May we earnestly guard that which has been deposited and entrusted to us. I'll give you some key uh, revelations that have helped me mature in this and remove obstacles uh, from grieving Holy Spirit in my life. And I think it's going to bless you. So... Buckle up, let's go. Thanks for tuning in, love you. There's uh, some of the housing, ha- housekeeping uh, uh, announcements. I wanna dive into a word that I think is timely for uh, upper room, the upper room community. And so I wanna encourage you to do two things. One, get your Bible out, and two, would you take notes? Uh, be a note taker. Um, be one that is eager to receive whatever the Lord has for you. Uh, I think this is for us corporately, but I also think it'll land uh, individually um, and, and be very practical for you. So um, yes and amen. Uh, we just turned 13 as a community as of uh, last month. I know it's a happy belated birthday. We, we, last month was pretty crazy. And so I don't know if we officially acknowledged our birthday, but Upper Room is now a teenager. Come on. So big changes ahead for us. Um, my, my niece who... My brother's here, my brother and sister-in-law. Would you guys stand up? I don't know if I've ever introduced you. This is my brother, Matthew, his wife, Stephanie. So um, they are uh, precious and they have two daughters, Maddie and Andy. And Andy was born a month before uh, we launched the Upper Room. And so every year I ask her, hey, what do we do for our birthday? Because I know that's how Upper Room would be selling our birthday. So we've done Chuck E. Cheese for a while. Um, We went roller skating, I think, a couple of years back. But this year we went to Six Flags. So we're riding roller coasters. Um, I know. So, uh, but it's in regards to, I think, us aging and maturing that I want to share uh, this word for us because um, we are in a massive transition as a community. Over the next 12 months, um, we are moving uh, to the design district, which is just south of town. We have between a 15 million-ish dollar project that has launched. They are moving quickly on it. It is awesome to see 1910 Wall Street will be our new home. Uh, and it is going to be, I think, unique in a number of ways. One, uh, we're moving into a much poorer demographic. Uh, there is a lot of needs, more needs than in the design district. It's very transient. There's lots of uh, uh, street people that are present. In fact, our team is leaving Bibles and presents and gifts to those that are now making their homes outside of our church. Uh, George and team are praying for them. And so we're strategizing about how to reach that demographic. I also think that uh, the Latino community, we're really praying about launching a Latino service. We have a prayer uh, set right now on Tuesdays. that's reaching um, the Latino Hispanic community. And I I really sense God uh, calling us to steward this mandate to reach Latinos in our city. And then I also think the African-American community is, uh, is just south of our new campus. And so I think our church is about to become extremely, not that we're not diverse today, but I think we're gonna be more diverse than we are today. And so I just, with that uh, comes growth and maturity, comes greater responsibility for us as a family to prepare for what he's leading us into. And so um, our team is doing that behind the scenes. Uh, I talked, I spoke at our staff chapel on Wednesday and I shared this word with our staff, and as I was praying about this weekend, I really felt like it was a corporate word. So there were some uh, practical things for our staff, but I, I think this, this word is gonna land um, in our body as a whole. And so uh, the, the scripture that I, will hop into Luke 2, but the scripture that's kind of the overarching scripture for this morning is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14. And this was an exhortation that Paul gave to Timothy. Timothy was a young minister. And Paul's writing him a letter, encouraging him. And he says this, he says, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, the treasure or the deposit which has been entrusted to you. Guard that which has been entrusted to you. 
And something has been entrusted to us as a spiritual family. Uh, I don't wanna share too much about our history. I think most of you know our history. Uh, we launched in the uh, Oakland district of downtown. This was a prayer meeting that I did not know was going to become a church. Um, I was wrestling with the Lord with the neighborhood and demographic where he planted the upper room. I'm a suburbs guy. I love the suburbs. You guys that live in the suburbs, I get you. I know you. And I want to pastor you. But Oak Lawn was not the demographic I was looking to pastor. I had friends that had a burden for that community, friends that um, would have been better suited, but um, the Lord called uh, me and us to plant in that community for a reason. And through the orientation of how he planted the church, prayer was really the only thing we could do. And so we developed a prayer culture, a worship culture, hosting God's presence. And through that, I believe the Lord entrusted us with something. And I was just at a conference with a couple of thousand pastors, able to tell our story and some of the revelations that have made our community our community. And I'm realizing that the Lord is using us to supply to the body of Christ a nutrient that was deficient in her. If you think about, uh, like, you go to the doctor, I recently, well, two years ago I went, and he was like, hey, your body needs more vitamin B. And so I started taking this vitamin B supplement to compensate for where my body was deficient. And I think there's, there's seasons in the body of Christ where the Lord raises up a church or a movement to accentuate a truth that he's trying to get into his body. And I think through the upper room and other communities, but through the upper room, uh, this idea of ministering to the Lord, this idea of hosting God's presence, this Psalms 132 vow, there's a number of ways that we've communicated it, but I think the Lord highlighted it in order to put this into his people. And I hear leaders, more and more and more leaders talking about ministering to the Lord. I did not hear this phrase much five years ago, but it's making its way into, I think, mainstream and this idea of us loving him, ministering him. And I think this is something that he's entrusted to us corporately. And Paul is exhorting Timothy, hey, you need to guard that which has been entrusted to you. You need to be aware of what it is. Uh, R.T. Kendall wrote a book called Sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. Uh, R.T. Kendall, I actually got to meet him this week. He's, a, he's been a longtime hero of mine, a theological hero. He was the, the minister of, uh, for 25 years at Westminster Chapel in London. He was the successor of Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's just an amazing theologian. Um, anyways, he wrote but this book, Sensitivity of the Holy Spirit, and he... He says that the treasure that was deposited to Timothy was the anointing that God specifically gave Timothy. It was the anointing that he put within Timothy or the Holy Spirit, which is a deposit that we're to guard that. Now we all have an anointing from the Holy Spirit, amen? Let me say that again. You have an anointing from the Holy Spirit. He has placed a specific anointing and purpose upon you, upon your family, uh, upon you as a son, as a daughter. He has entrusted something to you on a personal level, but he's also entrusted something to us on a corporate level. And so one of the things that we, we do in uh, guarding that which has been entrusted to us is we allow it to mature. We allow it to grow. First uh, Peter 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says this. 2 Peter 3, 18, you can write that scripture down. He says, but grow in the grace. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity, amen. So we think of grace, grace is used a lot, but I don't hear a lot of people talking about maturing in grace or growing in grace. And the word that I have for this morning is upper room, it's time to mature. Upper room, it's time for us to grow. It's time for us to understand what's been entrusted to us and for us to grow in stature to steward the grace and the increased authority that he wants to place upon us for greater impact in the city of Dallas specifically. In the city of Dallas specifically. This is for the elders. This is for our staff. This is for small group leaders. This is for prayer and worship leaders. This is for USM students. It is time for us to mature. We're teenagers now. We're in middle school. Our voice is about to start cracking. <laughs> we don't oftentimes uh, 
talk about grace in this way, talk about the anointing in this way. Uh, but I wanna use a story, one that you're familiar with that you may not have seen in this lens uh, to unpack this truth. But my, my concern is that if we don't continue to mature, that we could lose what he's entrusted to us. That we could live remembering the glory days that were intended to push us deeper into the glory because God takes us from glory to glory. He takes us from faith to faith. He takes us from hope to hope. And as cool as Upper Room is, it's not that cool. <laughs> as impressed as some are, I, and I don't think the Lord is that impressed because of where he's taking us and because of the journey that we're on. And I think, uh, I think as we're faithful with a little, he gives us more. And so um, Billy Graham had this quote. He said, my greatest fear is that God would remove his hand from me. This is the Billy Graham who preached in stadiums. His greatest fear is that that which has been entrusted to him might be taken away from him. Bill Johnson, um, when talking about, if you don't know Bill, Bill is the senior pastor of Bethel Church in Redding, California. And they had this manifestation probably about 10 years ago. Uh, a manifestation happened in their assembly. You can go on YouTube and see it. And uh, I've since talked to uh, Jeremy Riddle, who was leading worship at the time, and some other friends that were in the room when this happened, but the Shekinah glory of God showed up in the room. In the corner, there was a glory cloud. It had like glitter and gold, and God manifested himself in such a tangible way. And he did it for several days. And, uh, and it, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't something they manipulated. Bill's like, I don't know why. He came to worship the manifestation would be equally as ignorant as to ignore it. And so they acknowledged this manifestation of God's glory in their midst, but he said the most tormenting thing is when the glory departed, when that manifestation left. He said it was so tormenting because it was as if the Lord was so near and there was this ache in his heart to dwell that near and that close to the Lord. And so I, I, I think about, again, what has been entrusted, guarding the anointing that is upon us, that is in us. And so I wanna look at Luke chapter two, starting in verse 41, as a backdrop, as a, as a, as a narrative to look at, stewarding that which has been entrusted to us. Uh, <clears throat> Luke two forty one. Now, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And when... He had become 12. Uh, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. Now, this detail is important because when Jewish boys turn 12, they have their bar mitzvahs. And many think that Jesus' relatives and family came to Jerusalem and he was celebrating his bar mitzvah at this feast, which the bar mitzvah is a calling into age. It's like confirmation for those that grew up um, in more liturgical communities where a child is confirmed that they're now of age, that they're entering into uh, adulthood. They're entering it, they're maturing from a boy into a young man. And this would have taken place, uh, <clears throat> most believe, here at the age of 12. So here's what was happening. Jesus was maturing. I want you to see that. The anointing was upon Jesus' life was maturing. And at the end of this story, we see that Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature, both in the grace or the favor with God and man. So the story's ending there, but I want you to see that Jesus is maturing. Does everyone see that? So even Jesus had to mature. Even Jesus had to grow in stature. And so verse 43, as they were returning, so after the feast and spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it. But his parents were unaware of it. They supposed that Jesus was to be in the caravan. And when they were a day's journey from Jerusalem, so they were traveling to Nazareth, which was the hometown, it would be a seven-day journey. It was a seven-day journey, estimated, that the caravan would have taken seven full days and it, about a day away, so one-seventh into the journey, the parents realize our son is not with us. And so, this is a pretty frightening moment. <laughs> have you ever lost a kid? I haven't. No, just kidding, I have. And, and it was about a minute or two, but it felt like an eternity just trying to find. We were in Mexico and... It was a dangerous 
fearful moment. I don't know if I prayed like that, but I can only imagine parents unaware of it, can't find him. Um, and so they, they went to their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him there, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting amongst the teachers, listening to them, asking for questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. For three days, they looked for him. And he said to them, why is it that you're looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house or that I was about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he had made. And they went down with him and they came to Nazareth and he continued in subjection to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. This is a really, I think, unique account uh, in the life of Jesus. This last verse here about Mary, Mary treasuring these things in her heart. Uh, most theologians believe that Mary informed Luke she was, she was an informant of his gospel. And so Luke's account, Luke 1 and 2, some of the most descriptive uh, narratives of Jesus's birth and his, his, his youthful days. And so this is one of those stories that's not found anywhere else. But I think this story was really significant um, to Mary. And uh, I wanna connect this to what we're talking about tonight in maturing in the anointing. Because something had shifted in Jesus's life and Mary and Joseph weren't aware of it. Mary and Joseph had been entrusted with something, amen? Yes. Yes. <laughs> amen? I mean, they'd been significantly what they had been entrusted with, like, like, like she was overshadowed, she was carrying God, the virgin birth, angels, they were in Egypt. Like they had been on a journey now for 12 years, raising the Messiah, raising the anointed one. But we read in this account that they got a day's journey from Jerusalem and they were not aware that the one that they had been entrusted with was not with them. This is a sobering reality. And so I wanna give you a couple of takeaways from this story and then at the end, I'm gonna give you two practical points. The first takeaway is we must be aware of God's presence. We must be aware of God's presence. Uh, they were leading Jesus, but they weren't following Jesus. Uh, Jesus had been entrusted to them, but they weren't aware of him. Luke 2, 43, I think this is Mary's commentary. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were not aware of it. Now, how would this happen to us as New Testament believers? Well, I wanna correlate Mary and Joseph not being aware of Jesus in their midst to Ephesians chapter four, verse 30 when Paul is exhorting the church at Ephesus that was in revival, this, there's no correction to the church at Ephesus, but he says this in Ephesians 4.30. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Did you know that you as a believer, one who's been entrusted with the Holy Spirit, can grieve the one who lives inside of you? The Holy Spirit has made himself vulnerable to you. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit has thoughts, he has feelings, he has emotions, he has desires. And the Holy Spirit is a sensitive spirit. He's not sensitive or vulnerable because he's weak. He's sensitive and vulnerable because it's his nature. It's who he is. And God has entrusted you to be the temple of him. And Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And so obedience as we mature in the Lord is us growing in our sensitivity to the one that lives in us. I used to think obedience like and maturity was no longer looking at things I shouldn't look at or no longer drinking things I shouldn't drink or no longer hanging out where I shouldn't hang out. Like it was based on what I was doing and not doing. That was maturity. But as we mature in the Lord, the mark of maturity is your awareness of the Holy Spirit and his promptings and directives. And maturity in the Holy Spirit, I believe, uh, is, is the litmus for sanctification or growing in holiness. Now, to the degree that you respond and are aware of the Holy Spirit, 
is to the degree that you can mature. And what I mean by that is soon as you grieve the Holy Spirit and stop listening to the Holy Spirit, you are capped spiritually in your growth. Oh, you may grow in your head knowledge of the Lord. You may grow in your understanding of theology and your hot sports opinions about the church. And you may have blogs and YouTube channels. And you may grow in knowledge that puffs up. But I believe the litmus for spiritual maturity is your ability to discern, respond to the conviction, prompting, and guidance of the Holy Spirit. So, so I know some people that there was a moment in time and a fence set in their heart and the Holy Spirit said, it's, this is the day that you need to deal with what just happened. In that account, Ephesians 4, he says, don't be grieved. It's the same chapter where he says, be angry, but don't let the sun go down on your anger. Meaning things will happen to you that make you angry. But your ability to submit it in that day and follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit will determine your spiritual growth. Because I know some people, because of the day of anger, now have a decade plus of bitterness that is set in their heart because they did not respond to the Lord. So they're, 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 they're stunted. Their growth is stunted spiritually. And so, I, I, you know, it's like, it's like, does it take you a year to respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit? Does it take you months does it take you weeks? Does it take you days? I think the mature in the room respond in seconds because they're aware of the one that's in them. So here's point number two. So we must be aware of the one who's with us and in us. Point number two is we must learn to adjust to Jesus. We must learn to adjust to the Holy Spirit. We should not expect Jesus and the Holy Spirit to adjust to us. Let me say that again. We must learn to adjust to Jesus. We should not expect Jesus to adjust to us. The Holy Spirit has a destination in mind. The Holy Spirit is your guide. The Holy Spirit leads you into truth. The Holy Spirit is the Lord of your life. And if you get off on the directives and the path that he has for you, he will not change that destination. The Holy Spirit is sensitive. And we must adjust our lives to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will not adjust his lives to us. I heard R.T. Kendall tell this week a story of some friends of his that moved to Jerusalem. And it was a step of faith for them uh, in, in, in their transition. There was a lot surrounding them. And, uh, and they, they thought God was calling them to move. And so they got a flat. And in their first day in Jerusalem, they looked outside the window and two turtle doves had made their home outside of their window. And they really sensed that this was a sign from the Lord that they had made the right decision. And so they lived in this home and in the early days, and they were very aware of these two turtle doves that had made their home outside of their home. And a couple of weeks into it, um, the husband came to the wife and they had this conversation. And they said, he, said, he said, honey, do you realize how sensitive these two doves are outside of our window? Like it seems like when we slam doors or if we raise our voice or when the TV's on, they fly away. But when we're having dinner and it's quiet and quaint in our home, these doves come back. And the wife responded. She said, I am very aware of that. My greatest fear is that they fly away and they don't come back. And that's where this line came from because the husband then said, we have a choice. We can either adjust our lives to the two doves living outside of our home or lest they fly away and they find another place. Doves are sensitive. John 1.32, it's a, it's, a, it's a very important revelation about the life of Jesus because at his baptism, it says the heavens literally tore open. The Holy Spirit descended and fell upon Jesus like a dove. It's very specific. The Holy Spirit's described as fire, oil, um, water, wind. There's different descriptions of the Holy Spirit. It could have said he fell like fire. He fell like oil. He fell like water. A cloud surrounded him. All of those metaphors would have been appropriate, but John specifically called the Holy Spirit a dove, and he said that the dove remains. Why? 
because I believe for the first time, a human vessel was consecrated and holy and the Holy Spirit could dwell in a man and it would empower the ministry and life of Jesus. Jesus lived his life with a total awareness of the dove that was in him and with him. But maturity is us growing in the same. You know, anatomically, a dove, if you look at the anatomy of a dove, um, it, is, it is of the same order of pig- as pigeons. Pigeons and doves are in the same family order, like bird order. And uh, I was reading a book this week on, on the difference between pigeons and, bir- uh, pigeons and doves. And um, from a scientific standpoint, they are so similar. The, the only real difference is that pigeons tend to be a little heavier. But from a, a personality standpoint, they could not be more different. And as I started reading about uh, pigeons and doves, I started relating more to the pigeon than I actually did the dove. Now, both are, are holy before the Lord because in Leviticus 12, you could offer either a dove or a pigeon. And I, I feel like we have, we have similar options in following the Lord. We can have a pigeon's response or a dove's response. Now, let me, let me tell you by what I mean. Um, here's the difference. Uh, pigeons, doves can't stand noise. Doves can't stand loud places. Now, pigeons, you find them in urban, downtown, loud cities. Like New York City, I remember one time I was there, Times Square, and there were pigeons outside of our window, just so loud and annoying. Uh, Doves are afraid of humans. You know who aren't afraid of humans are pigeons. Pigeons are not. Uh, Doves are not territorial. Pigeons... Not only are they territorial, meaning they mark their space, but pigeons will actually bully one another to prove that it's their territory and not someone's else, someone else. Doves cannot be trained or domesticated. You can't train a dove. A pigeon, the guy writing this story, he said that he, if he had the time and resources, he could build a red birdhouse and put it at the center of Central Park and he could train pigeons to make that red birdcage their home, that they would fly to and from that birdcage, but he could train them and domesticate them in the center of New York City to make it their home. <clears throat> Once out of cages, doves will never return unless there's no food, which is Noah with the dove sending out the dove to see if there's a landing place. But um, pigeons, pigeons are uh, relegated to cages. They have... Uh, they, they like closed spaces. And then the last one is that doves only mate with one dove for life, but pigeons are polygamist. <laughs> they have many, 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 many mates. So uh, what's my point? My point is, are you a pigeon? Or are you a dove? Because the one who is inside of you is not a pigeon, he's a dove. That's who the Holy Spirit is. And so we must adjust our lives to the leadership of that dove. We must be sensitive and aware of the leadership of that dove. Um, so here's, here's number three out of this text. Um, you can, uh, well, I, I kind of already said this. Maturity in Jesus is perpetual, constant awareness of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He said, the Holy Spirit comes by foot, but he leaves by horseback. <clears throat> and I, 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 wanna, I wanna encourage us in this. Um, um, it's something I've been reflecting upon, and I think I may have heard this from Bill. I, I can't remember when I heard it, but I've been meditating on this for some time. And And it's that the principles that we learn in scripture, the truths that we learn in scripture, the truths that we apply to our life, uh, they're unto the person of God. Uh, Meaning, here's what I mean. Um, um, Like, not tithing grieves the Holy Spirit. Tithing is a principle. Now, it's not about tithing. It's not about the principle of tithing. What I've discovered and in these principles that I find in scripture, when I apply them to my life, inside the word principle is the word prince. 
And so oftentimes the Lord gives us principles to be obedient, to submit and surrender our lives to, but that obedience and those principles are unto the one that's inside the principle and it's the prince inside the principle. So like for me, when I tithe, and this is why I'm so passionate about young people tithing, is tithing was a gateway, tithing was a door. With my resources, I came to the door and I began tithing and I went to that threshold of obedience and on the other side of that, I discovered God as a provider. So with the provision that he gave me, me being obedient to the principle of tithing, me adjusting my life to the lordship of the spirit, it opened a door that wasn't necessarily about me being obedient, but it led me to a revelation of the Lord and a nearness of the Lord that I could not previously have had unless I applied the principle. The principles under the prince. The, the, the principles unto the, the presence and us adjusting our lives to the leadership and lordship of the spirit is us being intimate and connected to the one that's leading us. It's not about do this, do that. It's about knowing him. And it's so crucial that we don't take this teaching and turn it into a law of like, God, I've got to do more. This isn't about doing more. This is about receiving more. This is about being yielded more. This is about being aware more of who? The one that lives in you and the one that's with you. Jesus said, this is the helper that I'm sending. He could not wait to go ask the father to send this one. And maturing for us as a community is being aware of that. <clears throat> So here's what happened once Mary and Joseph were a day's journey from their son, which again, I would just like, I can't imagine how fast Joseph ran. He's like, oh my God, we've lost God. You know, it's like, it's like, I bet he was like, have you found him? Have you found him? Have you found him? No. And he just starts booking it back to Jerusalem. You know what this is? This is repentance. Repentance is to do a turnabout. And I bet they hurried back. And another interesting detail is it took one day to lose him, but in the text it says it took three days to find him. Woo. What's the point? It's easier to lose him than it is to find him. I'm gonna give you some practical ways to find him if you lost him. <laughs> but this is why the Bible says today, if you hear his voice, don't what? Harden your heart. Because the process of getting back to Jerusalem, it takes a submitted will, a yielded heart, yielded strength. I'm putting aside my, my schedule. Well, I need to be in Nazareth in seven days. No, everything was disrupted. Everything was unto them, finding the son. So where do they go? Here's, here's a key. They went back to the place that they left him. They went back to the temple. And I love that when they got there, Jesus was like shocked that they didn't know what he was doing. Like, did you not know that I would be about my father's business? It's the beauty of the Lord as he's, he can continue his work with or without us. <laughs> Yesterday's bread is unto today. And oftentimes, if, if you have grieved God, or and this is just practical, I'm gonna get to two very practical things, but if you have left, you, know, you, you can't discern where the Lord is. I, I, I am not... This is not about God leaving you. The Bible says he will never leave you, forsake you, or forget you. So this isn't about him, quote unquote, leaving you. He's, <laughs> he found you, all right? You were lost, he found you, and then he put you in his son to get lost again in him. So you can't get out of Jesus, but here, here's, here's what I wanna just propose to you. It's, it's, it's maturing an awareness of what he's placed inside of you, what he's entrusted to you. And so oftentimes what I do when I realize, Lord, where are you? There's a circumstance, there's a situation. I need to return back to where I last heard him. I need to return back to my last breakthrough. I need to return back to the last revelation I can remember that he shared with me. I have a history with God. You should have a history with God. 
Mary and Joseph had a history with the one that they were entrusted with, and we should all collectively have a history with him. It's intimate, it's connected to you, it's personal. Like you can have a theology, you can have boxes, you can come to church, but we need an awareness of his leadership in our life day by day. So let me give you two practical things in uh, growing in the anointing, maturing in the anointing, obstacles that get in the way of us maturing. Here you go, number one. The first one that I see in my own life and I see in a lot of believers uh, is presumption. I don't see y'all taking notes. Presumption. Let me, let me define presumption. To take for granted, jump to conclusions, thinking something is true, although it is not. Mary and Joseph presumed Jesus was with them. I think presumption gets us in trouble. I think sometimes we mistake presumption for faith. Jesus presumed, presumed nothing. John 5, 19 proves that. John 5, 19 says this, therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it's something he sees the father doing for whatever the father does, these things the son does in the same way. Jesus' self-admission is he can do nothing of himself. He can do nothing of himself. He was daily dependent upon his father. Now, there's some areas that I wanna look at presumption, how presumption shows up. So these are subcategories of presumption. Uh, one of the areas of presumption is in the place of ministry. And this is for upper room, our community. Uh, sometimes I get concerned uh, about what God has entrusted to us uh, as a family and that we could fall into presumption around the ministry that we're operating in. Um, you know, upper room in some sorts, and many of you are visiting uh, probably from, I met some guys from the Northwest today, and I'm so grateful for the way, again, upper room has encouraged the body of Christ, but in, in some sense, it can be like a charismatic Disneyland. Like people are coming in from afar to worship and experience what they see on YouTube. And my concern for us is that we could develop an expression of ministry. We could develop a style of ministry. We could develop this culture of ministry and presume it's the Lord because it was yesterday, but it's not today. We could presume that, that, that the zeal of man and the excitement of man and these choruses and songs and sermons that worked yesterday are gonna work today. It's like if we pull these levers, turn these dials, we'll get these responses. Like, oh, this is the Lord. It has to be the Lord. And it's just a bunch of youthful zeal. <laughs> and, and discerning where he is, discerning what he's saying, discerning what he's speaking is maturity. It's allowing him to lead. It's allowing him to mark. Um, it's allowing him to be Lord. Uh, and I, 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 I wanna encourage those that are maybe seasoned in the Lord, seasoned in the things of God. Um, the older you get, I think the more aware you have to be of our tendencies to presume. Even, even Jesus told John at, right before his ascension in John 21 verse 18, he said, you will be brought where you wish not to go when you are older. When you were younger, you could do as you please, but the older you get, the more tethered you're going to be to my will. His ministry ended with him being led where he would not choose. Now, this is not the American dream. The American dream is set your life up for ease, comfort, and retirement. But in the kingdom, he says, when you get older, obedience, and you're submitting, don't presume that things are gonna turn out one way because you're gonna go where you wish not. Even Jesus' ministry, think about him. His last 
prayer meeting that we have recorded outside of the cross, but in the Garden of Gethsemane is him wrestling with the final assignment of his life. And he says, Lord, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. He didn't presume. He was submitted and surrendered and yielded. And my concern is the more familiar we are with his ways, the more presumption could set in and we could end the day's journey wondering where did he go? I believe it's a good word. It's a tender word. It's the kindness of God that he would speak to us this way. Another area of presumption that I see in our midst that we have to protect ourselves from is gifting, gifting and presumption. Um, I, I, I love the gifting, the gifts of God. <clears throat> and I love the, the leadership of men and the way that these gifts are expressed. It's happening across the Metroplex today. It's happening across the nation. But gifting alone won't get us there. And the gifts and callings of God are actually irrevocable. And we have to be aware of the one that gave us those gifts and that it's unto him. It's unto him manifesting upon us. Like the prime example of someone that had gifting that fell into presumption is Samson. In Judges chapter 16, verse 20, we know the story of Samson. He had great strength because of his long hair. And then you have the Jezebel spirit, which came through Delilah, that starts to twist and manipulate. And, and she's asking what the key is to your strength. And we know in the middle of the night, he tells her, she cuts the hair. And the Philistines showed up as they had the previous two times. And it says this in Judges 16, 20, it says, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And Samson awoke from his sleep. And he said, I will go out as the other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. He didn't realize that God had departed from him and he was functioning in a gift and what worked yesterday, but he realized that the Lord had departed. The opposite can be said of Moses when he came down the mountain. Moses, he walks down the mountain in obedience, coming up the mountain, he's walking down and his face is radiant like the sun. The people are hiding from him, but Moses had no idea that his face was radiant. He was just being obedient and following the one that had led him up that mountain. We can't presume in our gifting. Familiarity can breed presumption. And just for time's sake, I'm not gonna go into familiarity, but you can read the account of Jesus going to his hometown. They were so familiar with Jesus that they actually rejected him and fell into unbelief. Uh, the next one is preference and presumption. Preference, meaning things that you prefer when it comes to the Lord. Uh, and here's what I've learned about God is God will wrap himself in packages that I would not choose to see if I can find him in it. He'll wrap himself in packaging and gifting and expressions that I wouldn't necessarily choose. And it's a litmus for my heart to see if I can find him in that. There was a preacher you see these conferences that someone took to me to that when I first went, I was appalled by it. It, was, it probably looked a little bit like the upper room does sometimes, but it was just like, it, was like, it looked like a middle-aged, like women, middle-aged women on spring break. Like they were shaking on the ground, they had flags, shofars. It was just the whole expression deal. And I was like, what is this? And this preacher got up and he was just like, every other sentence was a question. It's like, how many of you want to be blessed today? How many of you want a miracle today? How many of you want more of God? How many of you love the scriptures? How many of you put deodorant on? Like it was just like over and over and over. I'm asking all these questions. You're just like, gosh, is he ever going to stop making me raise my hand? And that was his sermon. And then he started praying for people and he picked me out of the crowd, lifted me up, prayed for me. And it was like a 240 socket my heart was plugged into. I was electrocuted by the Holy Spirit. Never had a power encounter quite like that. But it was this guy that was so offensive to my mind and my preferences. Uh, I'll tell you a prime example. I was recently um, being introduced uh, 
at a speaking gig out of town and, and the guy, introductions are awesome pastors when they introduce the, the pastors, you know, this guy had been working on it and his zinger at the end of this introduction was, and I wanna thank Michael Miller for one thing. And I was like, okay, kind of stand there. He goes, I wanna thank you and we wanna thank you for making flags cool again in church. <laughs> making flags cool again in church. And I was like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. I'm the pastor that made flags cool again in church. Now, here's my preference. My preference, when we started the upper room, I didn't have this plan like, man, in six years, we're gonna get the flags out. Cannot wait for those dancers with the flags to run around the room. I cannot wait for it. <laughs> that was not like in, in what I saw the Lord doing at the upper room, that was not on my radar. The dancers, the flaggers, just wasn't. But now I'm known as the guy that made flags cool again. And so I was, I was with the Lord and I felt the pleasure of the Lord. I felt the pleasure of the Lord because here's how that happened. One day, six or seven years ago, Michael Malden, who was an associate here, found Vincent Hardy in the back corner dancing. And Michael acknowledged the anointing on his life as a dancer. He felt like the Lord was using him. And he said, hey, would you get up front and would you dance? Because I think it's for the community. And he gets up and he dances. And over time, I get to develop a relationship with Vincent, hear about his passion for dance. He was a professional dancer, got baptized in the Holy Spirit, realized this was a gift from God, started Zion Dance Company. All these dancers have moved in. And now we've all been blessed by dancers and flags, amen? How many, how many of you like... How many of you like kind of the Lord's renewed your mind around flagging and dancing? Okay, I am, I am at the front of that. I'm at the front of that. I was recently in Kona, Hawaii, and, and I was with my family on the YWAM base. We were about to uh, equip these DTS students sent to the nation. I opened my door, God is my witness, and Vincent Hardy's outside my door in Kona, Hawaii. I'm like, Vincent, what are you doing? He goes, oh, they brought me up here to train the base on flagging and dancing. And I felt the pleasure of God like Michael because you got over your preferences and what you thought things should look like and you empowered this gift. Look at now my leadership through him. And I think sometimes we put God in such a box that's called our preference that we can't find him outside of our boxes. He will offend your mind to reveal your heart, to renew your mind, to transform you into him. He, Jesus, the anointing isn't to bless you. The anointing is to transform you. And that will take a death in order to produce life. But on the other side of that death is a life that you didn't know you needed, but now it's all you desire. You single people in this room, you need to get over your preferences. You've got this portfolio for what they should look like and you haven't really looked in the mirror and done your own portfolio. Like you gotta measure this out a little bit. I don't mean to step on your toes, but this is actually a freeing word. Like what's my point? Listen to the Holy Spirit. Allow him to guide you, allow him to lead you. Allow him to direct you. They may not fit the profile that you had in your head. But the Lord's desires and his will, my life is evidence of that. I won't get into dating and marriage advice, but sometimes our preferences hinder us. You'd be a little narcissistic there. All right, the next one. The next one is, uh, this is how I talk on Sunday nights. You kind of get in a little gist of that. The next one, so, so presumption is number one. And then the second, the second obstacle is preoccupation. Preoccupation. We get preoccupied. So we presume things about the Lord and then we get so preoccupied that we miss him in the moments. Preoccupation. We're not aware, we're not present, we're not willing. Our, our will is not yielded from our routines, our rhythms, our regimens. We need to live with a daily yielded will, initial obedience, initial obedience. When you hear the voice, you will respond. I was recently meeting with a, a friend of mine who, um, He's, 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 he's unique. His relationship with God, I esteem it. Um, he's very well respected. 
uh, God's using him in powerful, powerful ways. And we were talking about this subject and I said, man, you do this more, you do this better than anyone I know, a, a, a daily active response to the voice of the Lord. And he told me this in humility. He goes, I don't tell many people this, but because we're talking about this subject, I wanna tell you. And so I'm telling now thousands of people. Um, <laughs> but I won't use his name, so you don't know who he is. But he said this, he said, Michael, I have chosen since 2021, my desire has been to daily respond to the voice of the Lord. And since that time, since the spring of 2021, so over two years, he said, every single day, God has led me to share the gospel with someone. There has not been a day that I have not shared the gospel with someone. And he pushed play on testimonies over the last three days. And there's, it was more, so convicting. It was more than it happened in my life in a year. I said, God, I'm so sorry. I've been really busy about your work. He said, this is the Achilles heel, not being present and willing in the moment. He looked at me when we were having coffee. He goes, I know you think I'm here with you having coffee, but I'm actually somewhere else. He was aware of every person that walked by. His antenna was just up. It's one of the most mature men of God I've been around. I was recently on a plane ride coming back from this conference that I did, and it was an awesome conference. Like There were thousands of pastors, and it was just this glorious deal. And I was getting on my plane, and I was sitting down, and I put my headphones on, and I was going to watch a movie. Just kind of like really smiling, thanking the Lord for what he did. And then this woman sat down and she started talking. <laughs> and I felt the Lord go, this is me. So long story short, we ended up talking. She was a widow. She's going to be with her mom, minister to her, pray for her. It's this really, really awesome moment. And I'm getting off the plane and again, thanking the Lord for what I had done. And he said, son, the most important thing you did on this trip was pray for that woman. It wasn't the conference, it wasn't the pastors. It was that level of obedience. And I heard the scripture, if you give a cold cup of water in my name. The simple, radical steps of daily obedience. That's maturity. Obedience is the key. I think of Ananias on, on uh, you know, Ananias in Acts chapter uh, nine, when the Lord comes to him and he's like, I got an assignment for you. He's like, okay, God, what is it? Saul, he's on straight street. You need to go pray for him. He, the dude that's been killing all my friends, that guy goes and prays for Paul. I can only think of the reward he has in heaven because of that day of obedience that unlocked now. Two-thirds of the New Testament written by Paul. Joshua David, who lives in India, you guys know Joshua, he runs Upper Room India, he's just a hero of mine, but his dad was an apostolic church planter in India. Just these guys are unique over there, what God's done through these men of God in India. And Joshua has this story that so lines up with what we're talking about tonight. I'm gonna to move into ministry. If you guys can come, come up. Um, I texted him. I said, hey, was this story true about your dad? And he said, yes. He said, let me type it out for you. And so this is, this is what his dad did. It, in the early eight, 1980s, uh, Joshua's dad was traveling to Calcutta from Nagpur. So it's on a train. Gotta go through some really rural areas. And it was nighttime and the train stopped in the middle of the jungle. And the Holy Spirit told his dad to go out, to leave the train, go out into the jungle. And he said he walked a couple of hundred yards, the train left, and he got to the middle of the jungle and he heard the Lord say, preach the word. There was nothing around him but bushes, middle of the night, he could see nothing, knew no one was there. So he preaches the gospel loudly. And at the end of his gospel presentation, he gives an invitation. He prays a prayer. He says, amen. Never saw anyone. Didn't know anyone was there. Turns around, goes back to the train, goes on about his city. 
Many years later, his dad was invited to that area, Passion Week, to Beldai Baptist Church in Jamshapur, India. And the dad hadn't been back to this region, so he shares his testimony about how the Lord led him to preach the gospel in the middle of the night when the train stopped for no reason. And he came back to the train. After hearing this testimony, the pastor who had invited Joshua's dad to minister started crying loudly. He got up next to his dad and told the whole church that the night his dad had gone into the jungle, he was hiding because that night he had committed murder and the police were chasing him and he ran into the jungle thinking he would commit suicide by throwing himself on the train track. But suddenly that night a voice spoke to him preaching the glorious gospel and he gave his life to Jesus. He then went to Bible college and now he's pastoring the church that his dad is testifying to that story. He always, the pastor always prayed that God would make him meet the man who had preached the gospel to him that night. And here the man was, hallelujah. What's my point this morning? <laughs> Little simple acts of daily obedience. That's what we're called to. That's what we're called to mature into. Will we do awesome things for God? You're gonna do awesome things for God. Are you gonna live under his blessing and favor? You're gonna live under his blessing and favor. But it's these little acts of obedience that are so significant to him. And all it takes is a yielded will today, right now. Just a fresh yes, Lord. When you knock, my doors open. When you speak, I hear. When you move, I'm with you. This is maturing in Jesus. I wanna pray for those in the room <clears throat> that this, you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit in this message. And I wanna pray that the Holy Spirit will encounter your heart. I'm praying, I felt like the Lord said two things, that there would be, uh, people would be baptized in the Holy Spirit this weekend and that signs and wonders would happen. And um, last night, we saw a couple people begin to get baptized in the Spirit. I think about six got baptized in the Holy Ghost. Thanks. And then... As people started encountering the Holy Spirit, there was a young man who's a, he's a son of actually a friend of mine who's a pastor in town. Two months ago, he broke both his fibia and tibia. It was uh, an eighth of an inch from being a compound fracture. Both bones in his legs snapped because he fell out of a chair. He's been in a boot. He had a steel rod, nails put through his uh, fibia to repair it. He hasn't been able to put weight on it. But when he woke up yesterday, the Lord told him, go to the upper room and I'm gonna heal your leg. So he showed up with a shoe on and not a boot. He sat right there next to where my brother is. And when the Holy Spirit started moving and people started getting baptized, I hear a screech. Everyone in the room heard a screech. And I see a young man running and he's screaming at the top of his lungs, God just healed my leg. 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 Do you know why I think that happened yesterday? I think it's because God's really excited about this message. I think he's really excited about us awakening to one, the presence of his spirit, but two, the power of his spirit. And so if you need that fresh baptism, I just want you to stand to your feet. I'm gonna ask just if you would come, I know they're about to put an announcement up if you need to go grab your kids, but parents, if you need a fresh dose of the Holy Ghost, let's pray for you really quickly. And let's ask the Holy Spirit to come. Empower him to come. In nearness, just, just present yourself before him. Say, Holy Spirit, I'm your temple. And just if there's an area in your life, if there's an area in your life where you've grieved the Holy Spirit, if there's an area in your life, if there's a relationship, if there's a circumstance, if there's something he's been asking you to do, right now, I just wanna see if you need to turn back and go to Jerusalem. Who needs to turn back? Just fresh obedience is a fresh measure of his presence. And so, Lord, here's our will, here's our desires. Lord, come and baptize us fresh and new in Jesus' name. Holy Ghost, come. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Come on, just ask him, you verbalize it. Say, Holy Spirit, here I am. Holy Spirit, I welcome you. Come, 
Come, come. Renew minds, God, renew wills. Lord, I pray not by might, not by power, but by your spirit, God, where we've been striving, where we've been attempting to accomplish things, where we've been stuck in our own reasoning, where we've been stuck in our calculations, where we've been stuck in trying to figure things out. Lord, I pray for a fresh yielded surrender to your Lordship. The Spirit of the Lord is present and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. I pray for liberty tonight, this morning in the hearts of your people. Liberty, 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 only found by you, Holy Spirit. God, we repent for the boxes we've put you in. We repent for familiarity. We repent for presuming. We repent for being preoccupied. And we ask that you would interrupt our lives, that you would disrupt our lives, that it would not be business as usual, Lord, but you would come and manifest yourself in a fresh way in Jesus' name. A fresh way in Jesus' name. Come on, cry out to the Lord. Just ask him, say, Lord, here I am. Here I am, Jesus, your resting place. Here I am, God.